0: What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I'm here with my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, we have a show full of talking about men today. We got The Old Man, The Gun. We got First Man. We got Better Call Saul, a show that is pretty much mostly about men, except for Kim. And then the Romanoffs, which I guess that, that, that's a good mix. We're going to be starting off with LMI. How are you doing today, man?
1: Doing well, man. Yeah, it's funny. We're also talking about Better Call Saul, which, like you said with Kim, the prequel show. To breaking bad one of the titular difficult men shows an interesting theme by sheer coincidence
0: i wanted to ask about someone who's i guess developing into a man how you feel about your guy sam darnall got that w this weekend oh he, he's a developed man i, I don't know full grown you know, man huh? that,
1: that full head of hair
0: <laughs> very pleased to see a
1: sometimes good quarterback on the jets it's a pretty rare feeling and I still don't know what to make of it because it's uh, it's very foreign to me.
0: It's a good feeling. I'm I'm glad that you have something to root for, especially before the Knicks come and just totally have a, a very bad season because Kristaps is. That's in play. fine.
1: Yeah. This is all good vibes. Knicks season, man. We tanking.
0: <laughs> Are we tanking.
1: We developing players. Kevin Knox, Nilakina, Porzingis, I sit the whole year, man. Frankie Nicotine, KD next. Can summer. he
0: be a starting point guard?
1: He'll be starting something. He was uh, ranked ninetieth in pick and roll defense as a 19 year old rookie 90th percentile in the league it's pretty good i think he'll, he'll i be think ideally
0: you want him playing like that marcus smart role right where he's coming off the bench being a stopper tony allen yeah
1: if his offense doesn't get much better than sure but like he already has that 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 high floor which is gonna keep him in the league for a long time so there's that
0: maybe you'll hear from Dave doing some uh, Nostalgia sports takes in the future. Why don't we jump into something I didn't listen to, but I wanted to hear your take on it. The Quavo, was it a surprise album? I wasn't aware of it. It
1: wasn't a surprise album. It was initially supposed to come out the third weekend of September. Then it just got pushed back a little bit. But yeah, we knew Quavo was going to be the first to release a solo project sometime at the end of the summer. And sure enough, Quavo Huncho is here. And we already know that Takeoff's album's coming soon as well. It, unfortunately, it's a, it's kind of the, the, the vibe we've been going on with Migos. I mean, Culture One, amazing album. One of my top, I think it was in my top five albums for last year. So Great for So Many Levels. Quavo, the first star of Migos, was really good on that album. But then ever since then, you know, the quality control project from end of last year, and Culture 2, which we reviewed at uh, top of this year. Uh, Huncho Jack, Jack Hancho, his Travis Scott collab from the end of last year. All those were basically all misses. And Quavo, I think, was a big culprit with that, where he just seemed to just get lazier in his songwriting and his rapping. He had so many really hot features in 2016, leading into Bad and Bougie, leading into Culture 1, when they really started to pick up and get really hot. And then, you know, ever since then, it, the, what's the talk? It's Takeoff. It's really good now. And Offset's awesome. And Quavo, oh, Quavo's just kind of disappointing us all the time and phoning in verses. And unfortunately, I think this album is a lot of that. He's a charismatic performer. He can sound good on contemporary trap beats. That's what he's doing. But it doesn't do a lot for me. I think most of the songs are pretty forgettable. He's got collabs with Drake, Travis, and 21 Savage. Great people to work with. Hot, in-demand people. But those songs are exactly what you think they are. Ultimately, really forgettable. There's a song with Cardi B and Madonna weird madonna sample (laughs) what song does the sample i actually don't even remember but it's um it's worth a listen just because it's a weird pairing he also has a song with cuddy kind of an interesting pairing as well uh which is all right i think the the best song though really early in the album is called huncho dreams which is a play off of barbie dreams from Nicki Minaj's queen as you listen to huncho dreams you will quickly realize that Quavo was fucking airing out Nicki yeah. Minaj. I think the song is really awesome, really good. I kind of question the modems for it. You know, it really seems like she's kind of just dragging Nicki unnecessarily for this now actual real beef that Nicki has with Cardi B, which is, of course, his, his uh, sister in law. Right. Wait. Yeah. Is
0: the, the, is him, no. Him and Offset. Yeah, I was gonna cousins. say they're cousins. Right. I don't know what that makes them. Family yeah, by a, marriage. Extended
1: family. So I think that song is cool, and it's actually really good. It's funny. Like he interpolates in my feelings on that. He switches his flow a few times. So I think that song is cool. Again, the motives behind it are suspect to me. Other than that, it's a really forgettable project, and it's kind of a shame that Quavo is really squandering this because his profile's super high. He's not gonna. He's gonna walk away just fine from this, obviously. But I just expected a lot more because his highs on culture one and leading up into culture one back in you know late 2016 i just you know i thought he couldn't stop but he just kind of just started phoning shit in and hasn't changed in the year and a half so
0: disappointing for sure yeah, you know as, as you're talking it almost sounds like he didn't really have much to say on this and the only times he really hit was when he had something to say which just sounds like huncho dreams was the the main one where he had any kind of Uh, I don't know, material pushing him anywhere. Yeah, I guess when I heard he dropped an album, that was my first thought. I wonder what he actually wants to make an album about. But kind of like culture too, it sounds like he just wanted to put something out, get those numbers up, make that money, cash that check.
1: And again, it's, what is it? 19 tracks? (laughs) Hour plus? Like Quavo, you do not have that much material. Sorry, (laughs) dog. Um, (laughs) Especially when you, you openly acknowledge that you don't put a lot of time into recording, which is fine. But we just need to get that quality control in order. Again, follow follow the namesake of your label for once.
0: Well, and I think it you know with Migos too right now since they still are a relatively newer group at least that newer in terms of stardom really being yeah. upper echelon. They're they're about that money right now. I think they'll worry about legacy uh, in a couple of years. They just want to get projects out right now, probably. So I don't blame them for getting that money, but it, it's going to be tough if he keeps putting out bad project after bad project so hopefully his next one will be better let's jump to lmi though boot up i mean i think everybody who has a brain or has ears that function uh in 2018 has probably heard this song and i i really like it i think it's a great pop song it's fun to listen to it's infectious what did you think of this debut album
1: though yeah it's funny because boot up i think like most people was my introduction to lmi about to turn 24 still pretty young but once I went back and looked, she had three EPs come out since the end of or since the beginning of 2016. And, you know, listening to that, I mean, she signed to uh, 10 Summers, DJ Mustard's imprint. And I listened to her most recent EP before this new record, Ready, which came out last February 2017. That's where Boot Up initially came out. It's actually quite an old song that really popped this year. It's kind of a cool story. Um, I listened to that. And I listened to her. Ride mustard beats, and I was like, wow, this is actually like there's something here. This is really cool, and I actually like that. Holy P, I think the Holy P is really awesome. Um, and then having boot up Get Huge, number five in the country, a lot of people song in the summer, and then she follows it up pretty soon after with Trip, which went gold. Um, the Jocks remix got notorious because people liked it so much that mustard, uh, cease and desisted, had it taken down, and it was living on Pornhub <laughs> for a while. Because that was the only place they could like keep the song (laughs) up on the internet, and still got taken down eventually. So that's ridiculous, and also mustard a little overzealous with stopping a a freestyle, stopping a remix. Like, yeah, come on. But getting to this album, I actually really liked it. I thought, you know, we've I think we've reviewed three major contemporary R and B projects this year: Georgia, her, and now LMI. And I'd probably put this right in the middle. I don't think it quite reaches the the, the yeah. highs of Georgia Smith, which is probably more achieves more. But I think in terms of contemporary R and B, that is both of the moment but also really high quality. Like uh, I think the LMI's self titled uh, album is pretty awesome. It's she's kind of like a female Chris Brown.
0: Yeah, and she actually had Chris Brown on you know as a feature on this, which I, I think is appropriate. I agree with you. I think I'd put her above her and right below Georgia. Um, but i think my, my knock is actually dj mustard's uh producing on this because i found a lot of the songs if you weren't really paying attention can definitely sound similar and i think while lmi dropped some quality and there's definitely a couple songs like uh shot clock i, I really liked in cheap shot i think that whole like cheap shot shot clock everything featuring john legend is probably the strong the strongest three of the sure. album for me and i think like a song like "Cheap Shot" really um, is a nice mix-up, and that's actually not a DJ Mustard produced uh, song. Uh, but yeah, I think that would be the, my my major knock is that some of it does flow together and sounds almost too synonymous. That I'd like her to, to try and mm-hmm. take a little bit more chances. But for a debut album, I thought very solid. I really like the song "Sauce." I think mm-hmm. that song was very definitely
1: dangerous right before that was really cool. I mean, to get more specific, I just think it's 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 R it's like solid R and B music that is both really listenable but it's not super garish or uh, like disposable mm-hmm. in the way that uh, contemporary chris brown sounds you know or like what's a female compa? i don't know but it's pretty thoughtful like i think she actually has some like sneaky like cool wordplay mm-hmm. throughout her songs and i mean yeah, it's, it's what you expect it's about heartbreak and romance and you know life and growing up and all, all that the usual suspects right but i think it's it's done pretty tastefully and done in a cool way and again at the end of the day the songs are fun to listen to the songs are fun to go back to and i think that is a harbinger of continued success you know she's already proven she's not a one-hit one right
0: yeah i think we're gonna be talking about her for a while i also would expect to see her featured on a lot bigger projects moving forward i mean i gotta imagine john legend's gonna be dropping an album at some point in the future i think you can almost count on her to be there, but I'd like to see her team up with someone like Sampha, you know, moving forward and Ooh, see what what they can make together. I think sure. that they would be a great pairing, just their their vocals and their styles. I think I feel like would match up. So we'll see, but definitely someone to keep keep uh, on the radar moving forward. And a show that I, I mentioned that at the end of last week was off my radar, but kind of came on pretty quickly the Romanoffs dropping on Amazon Prime this past weekend only two episodes and it's going to be dropping every Friday Matthew Weiner's first show since Mad Men which we never really talked about Did you did you watch Mad Men?
1: I've seen some of it I haven't fin- I want to finish it obviously. Didn't Mad Men finish like right when we started the
0: podcast? I think it was like right around Something that like time that. it was finishing up yeah that's three years ago now 2016 wow it's gonna be going on three years of the pod that's kind of crazy you know i watched like the first like five or six seasons and i haven't gotten around to finishing it yet it was a show that i know i know is really well done i don't think i ever got into as much as some other people did but you know you read like if you trust alan seppenwald's analysis he rides for mad men is probably his favorite show of the last you know, of definitely peak TV era and I think uh anyone that enjoys like stylistic TV done in a really tasteful and creative way, Mad Men really fits that bill. And yeah. the Roman Us, I think, it took me by surprise. I wasn't aware it was an anthology series. So going in, I was kinda like, Oh, we're gonna get Aaron Eckhart for the this whole show? That's fucking incredible. Like give me all the Aaron Eckhart. <laughs> um, and then next the second episode uh, the royal we comes on and there's fucking Corey Stoll, like just getting to ball out yeah. for an episode i i really love that this is an anthology series because i i think not only do people want to work with weiner but he gets to then use them in these really creative ways um i guess before i go too too far into it what was just your initial reaction to the first two episodes what stood out to you what mm-hmm. did you like or dislike
1: Right. Oh, and just to clarify, Mad Men actually finished in May 2015, right so it was already done when we started the pod. Um, yeah, I. Um, it's funny, the first trailers for um, Romanoff because we didn't really have a date until, like I think, TCA's in the summer. Like, oh yeah, it's dropping October October 12th or whatever, get ready. And like, they put out that teaser trailer, and the teaser trailer is just like every actor's name. <laughs> You know, like I know episode three, which isn't out yet, is supposed to be quite good and has Isabel Huppert and Christina Hendricks from Mad Men. So, and like John Slattery from Mad Men will be back. There's just, the, the cast cast list is ridiculous and it makes sense that it's an anthology series. just normally <laughs> you would have this many uh, top billed, expensive actors, TV actors, all, all right. on one normal show. Um, and it's also is important to note that this show was greenlit um, by Amazon before uh, Matthew Weiner had that. A sexual harassment allegation from one of his uh, writers uh, on yeah. Mad Men. Um, in fact, it was it was greenlit so early that uh, initially was a co-production with the Weinstein Company, uh, Amazon Weinstein. So obviously they threw that association uh, association out the way. But you know, there's the cloud over Matthew Weiner, and it's been you know verified that yeah, he's you know this like really uh, detail-oriented auteur that obviously. He's cut his teeth writing for Sopranos, but then had his Opus and Mad Men, but was really controlling on set. And, you know, it seems that he also was a bit of a bully on set. And, you know, if he, with multiple allegations, it's, uh, you know, unfortunate. So that's a definitely a cloud hanging over the promotion sure. of the show. But the show and all the actors signed up before that was out. So I wouldn't judge anyone for working hmm. with him or Amazon for still putting out the show. Because, again, it was kind of predated uh, what happened with me, too. Um, that being said, I think. The first two episodes are, which is, again, all we've seen, and the critics have only seen uh, the first three. And I think the show is uh, really, really pleasurable to watch because the budget is <laughs> fucking super high. I mean, the first episode, I mean, they shot this in, I think, eight different countries. Um, the first episode obviously takes place yep. in Paris, fucking opulent-ass apartment. Lots of location shooting just on the streets, on mm-hmm. the river, et cetera. You know, and it's it's great to watch in that regard. But I think his, you know, I mean, a lot of the criticism, if you read about this, everyone's paying attention. to The show, of course, is that, uh, is this, you know, because it's quote the Mad Men follow-up, right? right? So it's being kind of, you know, held to those standards on a, on a high, uh, right? And it's definitely not like as ambitious no. as Mad Men. Again, I think right. if we see the whole, whole 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 series, maybe we'll get a greater sense of what the theme really is. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I'm not expecting much of any continuity, quote unquote, of an actor appearing in multiple episodes yeah. or anything like that. But um, I do think it's for what it is. You know, Mad Men notwithstanding, it's enjoyable, well written, and uh, you know, the characters feel pretty well realized through two episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, I think part of that is just these are big time <laughs> actors. You know, really chewing on the script. But you know, I mean, I think season uh, episode one kind of had a Maybe a bit of a hokey ending but if you kind of just uh you know accept that i think it was quite enjoyable And season episode two i liked as
0: well big Corey Mm -hmm. soul guy so
1: yeah i don't have much bad to say about it thus far yeah
0: when i was watching it i mean it's an easy comparison and uh, that's going to be ironic in a second because it reminded me a lot of easy on netflix where you know you're getting these big name actors in this anthology series and um you're kind of just letting them do their thing with these scripts and knowing that that they basically have 90 minutes of television that that they're making and telling this this small story. Um, but I think what I find most appealing about this is that you have these big name actors and you allow them to just kind of be these these people but then like jump right back out like we're we're not going to be following john ham for six more seasons we're not going to be you know you mentioned john slattery christina Hendricks coming back and we're not going to be diving into those characters and i almost kind of like that right now like i you know i was talking a little bit about um that that fatigue of of dramas with the the fantasy um tv boom that that's impending and having something where you're kind of just Turning it on and you know that you're sitting with these characters for 90 minutes, I find very appealing right now. Something that I'm like, okay, I'm seeing this character. They're gone. Aaron Eckhart is great watching you. I agree it was kind of a corny ending, but it's like, all right. That I don't need to care about this character beyond this point. Corey Stoll being a fucking psychopath in the second episode because mm-hmm. he he fell in love with uh, what Janet Montgomery's uh, character there, mm-hmm. which she was hypnotic, dude. Like in that episode, unbelievable. Oh yeah, uh, she was a standout for me. It's just fun, and I also think it's it's a good changeup for Weiner. I mean, like you said, he's had some controversy, and it's been three years since he was you know has released a show. But I think for him to come back and have, you know, these short stories kind of be where he's directing right now instead of going for something longer, lets him get back into the spotlight. Hopefully he can resolve whatever issues are going on uh, behind the camera and off screen and get back in good graces before he kind of comes back with, I think, a true follow up to Mad Men, whatever that would be.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's funny because, you know, if you look at the quartet of the golden age of television, right? Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. Gilligan and Gold already put that's already yeah. out we'll talk about that in a second David Simon followed up the wire with Treme show me hero then the deuce which we'll talk about that full season in a few weeks obviously the follow-up to Mad Men's here and then Sopranos David Chase has kind of walked away stepped away television. from uh working on, working on television per se and then even um David Milch has done other projects since Deadwood which is kind of like the, the fifth we're getting that, that movie right? though yeah so it, it's interesting to see Weiner come back obviously again he, you know he really is like the difficult like auteur you know obviously with the bad obviously sexual harassment not acceptable yeah. no matter how good of an artist you are no one's condoning that but also like apparently he's really controlling on the set and just it's uh, it's difficult you know and I think um, like I said before I just think because this was greenlit before Amazon knew before the actors knew just take the art for what it is you know I mean I don't again like Weiner's kind of been off the beaten path since mm-hmm. Mad Men you know um, and nothing, it's not like, you know, obviously David Simon put out several shows since The Wire, but he's a present figure. Weiner hasn't really been present. he's has been really around the world of yeah. television since Mad Men, so it is just it's an interesting story that's definitely not over, but in the meantime, I'm going to enjoy watching the show every uh, Thursday, every Friday, because it's, uh, you know, in the feature length thing aspect of it's really mm-hmm. cool, and also that he got Amazon to release week to week. I'm pretty sure this is the first streaming network, um, internet streaming service to Release a show week to week ever? Yeah, you know that wasn't like co-owned by networks. So this is actually a pretty big deal.
0: Yeah, though. that's actually a really good point, and I hope that that works out. You know, because we we review shows that are week to week and shows that are streaming, and I think the ones that I enjoy the most are the you know Game of Thrones is. The show, you know, Better Call Saul is the ones that are week to week, and it allows me to kind of think yep. about it and digest it, read the episode recaps that I want to read to try to understand the show better. And hopefully, I know on streaming, not every show is going to be like that, but to have even a couple, especially if they're premiere shows that are in that way, driving people to these streaming sites, but dropping their art in a more traditional way, I'd be really mm-hmm. excited for. so. Uh, that's enough of Romanoff's so and we'll be talking about it more uh, as the season wraps up better call Saul season four just wrapped up a week ago so we're a little late to this since we record on Monday's The season finale was last Monday man I can't believe they've gotten four seasons out of this show because w- when it when it started I was like that's probably gonna be like maybe two th- three seasons like end of the first season he'll be Saul and then the second season will probably be him being Saul leading up to Breaking Bad, and then maybe some other stuff like post-Breaking Bad, because I know that they had the Cinnabon thing already. But mm. I'm so glad that they have, because Jimmy McGill's demise into Saul Goodman, and Mike's demise into being like a true like henchman villain, is fucking mm. awesome to watch. And Vince Gilligan is just such a master of telling these stories, and even though I think my biggest uh, critique of the show when we first started watching it was that it was slow, and it was just not really that it didn't have enough there to keep me interested at this point I think they could have put out like five more episodes this season I would have been happy like just to kind of watch Jimmy and watch like his his antics with Kim and their relationship just all is so fascinating what did you like most about this season
1: once you understand why the right call Saul is so great and what you should be looking for when you're watching the show you really start to appreciate it. Because it's a lot different than Breaking Bad. Obviously, I'm not treading any new ground by saying this through four seasons in. But there's a lot more action in Breaking Bad. I mean, Breaking Bad used audiences' knowledge of protagonists against them by making Walter White descend into unlikability and villainy, right? But this is different because you already know who Jimmy will become at the start of episode one. So it's different how it's already, you know, telling the story to you. But This is a show about, like, the process. Once you understand what Peter Gold and and Gilligan do, I think, um, from what I gathered, Gilligan wasn't as involved this season. You know, obviously, he's the co-creator of of the universe and of Breaking Bad and whatnot. But Peter Gold was a showrunner this season. I think Gilligan, he directed uh, the second-to-last episode. But other than that, he was uh, less involved than normal. Which I think was Um, the best episode of the season, too. But go on. Yeah, and um, I'm, I'm not... I wasn't able to gather quite why. I know Stephen Wall mentioned it in passing a few uh-huh. times, so whatever. Um, it's not like there's any fall from grace or anything there. But this show, you know, like we're almost watching like two different shows, <laughs> right? Like we have the the Mike story, which is loosely uh, with obviously Gus yeah. Fring is there, which is really just fan service, I guess, and which is loosely connected to Nacho's story, one of the breakout uh, characters from yeah. Saul that wasn't in Breaking Bad. And then we have the Jimmy story, right, with him, and, uh, and 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 uh, Howard, and and until this season, Chuck, and seeing these two two shows really kind of function separate from each other, right? Like Jimmy talked to Mike what, once this season, from the yeah. Diner scene, I think was that it. Maybe there's one or two other moments, but you know they're really separate. But again, it's really all about the process. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, one of the fucking best episode where I think just really kind of captures the show in a in, the, in, a, in a nutshell happened was it, I think was it the finale or the second to last episode where uh, Mike's being chased by uh, Lalo Salamanca and he goes parking into lot. that uh, like parking parking lot and opens the glove mm-hmm. box you see the gun he doesn't grab the gun He grabs yep. the chewing gum and then you watch him for two minutes prepare chewing gum until he you know gets his escape in the ticket machine I like, that is such better call Saul yep. And Gilligan and Gold, in a nutshell, right there, you know, like a Spielberg-esque fake-out like a sight mm-hmm. gag. And then they, <laughs> you know, like they take their time with everything. It's so
0: great. Yeah. and Just to, like, uh, it, even, like, so drive awesome. your point home, even the ending of that episode for Mike, where he uh, is out in the desert, and he's basically explaining to Werner, yeah. like, you mess things up like, uh, I have to do this now. You didn't really leave us a choice. Not and the shot of Werner walking out into the desert where it's basically all dark at the top of that blue across the desert. You can just see Mike walk up behind him. I thought that was like the most perfect like way to like drive that home. And also, I mean, that is like classic Breaking Bad to a shot like that using the desert, using the scenery to really uh, have this affecting death uh I just thought it was it was wonderful. And Mike's arc, I found to be by far the most uh, compelling arc of the season. Um, you know, Jimmy, I think, uh, especially after the first episode when Howard is grieving and he basically is like, well, that sounds like like it actually is your fault. So, like, deal with that. You kind of saw it like.
1: <laughs> That's your cross to bat, yeah. Howard.
0: <laughs> yeah, basically, you, you saw he was already Saul Goodman at that point and like. There were scraps of Jimmy McGill left, but he was already transforming. Um, but Mike, you, I mean, his relationship with Werner and how that really impacted him, other than I think in the first season when he cries over his son, you don't really see like open up emotionally in the way that he did this season. And I think it's really it's great that they gave a character like that who in a lot of other shows would have just been like the most interesting character on the show, but never really gets fully developed. And you're just like, oh, he's just like a hardened cop who had lot of experiences with criminals after he retired you get to see like who he is as a person and how he developed into the person he was on breaking bad and that's really i think just masterful tv making um which which arc did you like more did you like saul or mike uh see i you know throughout the season
1: i i probably would have said uh uh said jimmy saul but seeing what happened with mike you know maybe it would cha- change my mind is because it's the first time we've really seen like that like chink in mike's yeah. armor you know we're we're starting to see how he's going to go down that path and just kind of become gus's gus's fixer yep. right and you know john to jonathan banks obviously we know he's really great but with his face with his eyes really communicated a lot for yeah. mike you know in that episode you know i think there's other things the show does, like there was that split screen montage with Kim and Jimmy, like getting up yes. in the morning and like brushing the teeth and the routines and stuff. Really, really effective touch uh-huh. there. The show used a time jump, I think, really smartly. Basically, a whole yep. year passes. So yeah, I, I think over overall, I liked just about everything. I wanted more from Nacho. I think he was probably the most underserved storyline of this season. Kind of just takes a beating, <laughs> gets fucked by Gus, and then up oh, there's another Salamanca around. You're in the same situation you were right. before. Like that's basically all that happens in Nacho. We don't really get much from him as a character. You know, he's kind of there servicing plot. Less Howard by yeah. design. Not as mad, mad about that, but I think Patrick Fabian is really good when he's given a chance, especially because Howard was much more round right
0: and um uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. this season. I, I think if, if one performance really stands out, I mean Mike obviously and Jonathan Banks, but Rhea Seahorn is just how has she not had an uh, uh, Emmy nod at this point? Like yeah, yeah really it's crazy, her. and it, like the scenes that I think stand out to me most are usually when Odenkirk gets a chance to kind of shine and uh, you see Kim kind of playing off him. And it's a much more subtle performance than Odenkirk has saw. Um, but I think like the perfect example is the uh, the the final scene when Jimmy is reading to the appeal board uh, the letter from his brother. And then he kind of switches it up and gives that what you think is a heartfelt speech. And he comes out and he's like, oh they're, they're all such suckers. suckers i played them all and then you can kind of just see kim realizing that she was a sucker too at that moment and like seeing mm-hmm. jimmy kind of slip just so seamlessly into saul it was just great acting and i don't know i think if if you are willing to to give a show a chance it's really about people and not so much about the action like you gotta watch better call Saul. like if you appreciate storytelling in that way it's probably the best show on tv right now for mm-hmm. that style
1: yeah and also, if you're a, break, a big Breaking Bad head like a lot of people are, I mean, there is just pure fantasy yeah. stuff that, Like yeah. Gale shows up this season. Obviously, Gale, one of the most tragic characters on mm. Breaking Bad, and it's kind of uncomfortable to see him back in his old happy, jolly <laughs> self uh, years before. Also, the reason Werner and all, all the Germans are there, making fucking Gus's super lab, yeah. from, that's, that's a key setting through a lot of Breaking Bad, you know? Um, not that they finish it, but... Just stuff like that, which again, it's not really the point. It's not why the show is good, but it also does obviously, it's very clear that they do have a connected plan for how this relates to Breaking Bad, which is really cool to see. Um, because again, you know, going into this, you know, we didn't expect this show to go on this long without Jimmy becoming Saul. And now, again, we'll see. Nacho and uh, Kim are the two, quote, loose ends. Right. So we'll see what happens. But
0: yeah shows uh shows it shows a joy for sure how many more seasons do you think one two i'll probably get yeah. two I, th- I think we get one more saul season and then we get a uh cinnabon whatever his name is yeah that would be cool like, yeah. like a present timeline a post breaking yeah. bad show
1: i'm one, really one. interested
0: to see that with what, what uh yeah. what's going on there but we'll we'll definitely be talking about it uh leave your thoughts on uh, better call saul either in the comments below this video um, or hit us up on Twitter at NostalgiaPod. Give us all your thoughts. Old man and the gun. David Lowery letting Robert Redford just be fucking charming as hell in his last performance. Yep. <laughs> just to kind of give you a bit of a background. And I don't want to spoil too much about First Man. But I saw First Man on Saturday and then this Sunday morning. And First Man was excellent in its well done movie. But I didn't love it. I loved the man the gun it's probably in my top 10 movies this year at this point um Mm -hmm. and i think i think what i liked most about it was it was a story that it was a lot of fun to watch redford gives just a fucking awesome performance and i'm i'm hoping he gets a a last nomination uh, in this role for uh, best actor but i thought the story stayed so true to who the characters were when it started when it seemed to be kind of twisting and turning and being about one thing and the way it ended just kind of pulls it right back and i was like you know what even though i didn't that wasn't the ending i was hoping for because i was rooting for them as a couple i ended up really mm-hmm. feeling like it was a much more realistic and true ending and it I told a great story i think about human the human condition that uh mm-hmm. you're not going to see in theaters uh, done better this year so uh that, that's my gushing review. L- give me yours. Yeah, no, I think it's, for one,
1: it's a 90 minutes that's long. A drama that's 90 minutes and does not feel short, does not overstay its welcome either. It's It, it, it moves at a, a, a brisk pace, but it, it's done well. And again, it all hinges on what Redford uh, brings to the table because he's in almost every scene that doesn't have Casey Affleck in it, basically. And he... You know, he's really charming he's uh, you know he, he really chews on his lines in this in this and I think you know he really relishes um be, portraying Forrest Tucker and you know if you know the story about the film he's the one who optioned um the story and basically got the movie made so he was obviously interested in it got character. that clout uh, again based, you know it's it's funny because like the uh, the script cites the New Yorker article from 2003 that David Grant wrote called The old Man the Gun like that's <laughs> whats cited and I actually read the thing. It's, it took me like 25 minutes to read the whole story, but you know that's like like David Grant from the New Yorker basically got got the story by t- meeting Forrest Tucker and talking to all the people and stuff. And it's like, it's just it's just a long ass New Yorker <laughs> essay. That's really what the story <laughs> came from, uh, which yeah. is really cool. And again, I do recommend reading that because hearing reading all the real stories, a lot of which is more or less in the movie in some fashion, uh, is cool. But yeah, I mean David Lowry, who I haven't seen any of his other films. I know he. Got a lot of acclaim for Ghost Story last year. He's got a few other films. Um, you know, he 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 wrote this. He directed this. He also uh, location uh, scouted everything. Like, and I remember he mentioned that they went. They wanted to get like cool locations for all the banks. Hmm. And like you remember, like so I remember one of the first banks they go to. I'm like, that does not look like a bank. That's a yeah. cool movie. So <laughs> great for a movie, right? <laughs> and just all those like little touches and. Um, The fashion, the vehicles. I mean, it it definitely feels like a period in film. And, you know, again, I mean, it's not, it's not like showy and that's about the robbing, right? It's not, it's not, it's not really a crime movie. You know, you know, you expect from a a bank robber's movie. It's not really what it is. Again, like you said, it's about the human condition. It's about uh, Forrest Tucker finally coming to grips with himself Mm -hmm. in a certain extent. You know, you can really, I guess, uh, take it in a lot of ways, but. Seeing that um, unfold, I thought was cool, and even Casey Affleck's uh, character, who was uh, played the yeah. cop, uh, uh, basically hunting him down. Uh, similar,
0: so, similar right. themes,
1: you know, in terms of me uh, being a you know really whimsical and whatnot. So, yeah, I think the movie is uh, really, really uh, worth a watch. It, it's funny because it's not making a lot of money. It's not a wide release or anything yeah. like that, but. It's gonna slip under the radar, minus the Redford buzz. But you know, I think this is a movie that a lot of people would like if they saw it. Just they probably just don't even know about
0: it. You know, it's interesting thinking about how the story is told with uh, Affleck's character and Redford's character, both kind of uh, finding out like who they are and what they really like about life and what they do and what it means for them to to kind of be them. And there's a lot of symmetry in it because I think you know you could kind of whittle it down to the idea of like, well, some people are criminals and some people are cops, but I think there's a little bit more to the idea of like, some people really like the chase and some people like to be chased and some people find mm-hmm. meaning in, um, you know, doing things that they have to run from. And some people like to be the people that kind of bring things home and, and find purpose in, uh, uh, justice. And it's, uh, I don't know. I I keep coming back to Elizabeth Moss's character, actually, in it, which, first of all, shout out Elizabeth Moss just being like, I don't know, a bit character, kind of a throwaway. Yeah, one scene. Um, But when she talks, when she tells the story about uh, her mom and how, you know, uh, Hunter, or uh, Forrest, sorry, would always kind of come back and say, no, I've changed, I've changed, I've changed. And he would always go back and rob another bank. And. Then at the end, when they say that he stayed in jail, he didn't he didn't break out of that jail. And uh, <laughs> then he goes out to get some milk or go out and run to run an errand. And he drops four banks in one day before he gets caught. It's like it's so perfect because who that who he was then is just who he is now. And like you said, it's kind of him just coming to realize it. But the way that they show that with that interview and then how it ends, I thought was just so beautiful and how he. The, like the gamesmanship of it how he really just enjoyed the chase like he he kind of fucks with affleck when he sees him in the the diner and they're having that conversation and the way he approaches them and it's just like oh i'm sure i'm sure you'll find him <laughs> and, he, and he's like it, it makes you look like you know what you're doing then affleck's like uh forest i i do know what i'm doing it's like it was just like so well done between them um i don't know and affleck's face in that was so perfect how it was kind of like that shock but also like so enjoying that scene between them it was just it was a fun fun movie to watch and you know if you do get a chance to see it i know that people have so many things that they're trying to watch i definitely recommend taking nine minutes out to check this out also i love the soundtrack i know that that's kind of weird like uh maybe something that doesn't stand out that much but i thought the way that they use jazz but also like old older folk folk songs and uh, a lot of i think there's some giant cash mm-hmm. in there and, and stuff it's it's just really uh, it kind of brings the whole vibe of it home, like you said. So uh, definitely, I would highly recommend it. One of my favorite movies of the year so far. Why don't we get to a movie that I think I, I saw you describe it as a, a major achievement in filmmaking? Is that right?
1: Yeah, I said it was Saving Private Ryan. Yes, for space
0: movies. That's that's a big take. <laughs> it was it was big. not original take. A lot of people are saying that. Tell me about First Man. You know, to to call it the Saving Private Ryan of space movies is High praise. What what makes you feel that way about this movie?
1: I think the movie is so so visceral and so physical in its portrayal of space travel and also getting inside the heads of people doing said space travel, astronauts, that it, it reminds me a lot of what's, what everyone felt in 99 when uh, St. Pride Ryan came out. Like, wow, this is like, that's how you depict war on screen. Right? And I feel like this is the same way you depict space travel on scene. I think it's the best non-science fiction space movie. You know, obviously, that's not as big a list as sci-fi movies, but I mean, going up against like Apollo thirteen and the right stuff and Gravity, um, I think this is the best one of, of the bunch. And I think just the way it it, it tells tells the story is <laughs> freaking incredible. And like, uh, then on the other hand, there's like, oh, there's all these fucking money shots of space travel without the characters aesthetically like 2001 a space odyssey like there were so many moments when i was just like fuck and i'm a big space person obviously everyone has to love star wars so it's like yeah i'm coming in hoping to like it but i was pretty blown away yeah th-
0: w- what this movie does well and obviously this is damien chazelle's was this his fourth movie um technically it's his fourth yeah. movie
1: really no one saw his 09 movie which was an
0: indie yeah release. but i mean the director of whiplash la la land um he's telling the story of neil armstrong uh, and and his, like, own personal journey and how it kind of ties in with the first lunar landing and uh, just his whole experience with this. Um, I think it, it tells space travel in a much grittier way, which I think I, I appreciate, and it kind of brings the realities of what these people were actually going through and, like, the danger of this to the surface, which I think kind of gets lost a lot of times in the shuffle. You know, you think about, like, Kennedy's whole speech about, like, being the first person to go to the moon, like the importance of the space race. And then it's kind of like, Oh, we went to the moon. Like people don't talk about that really like in between part because we, um, I think what I I admire most about this movie is how I'm left with different feelings at different parts that, he definitely like it's almost kinda like a stars board, how he's kinda called a manipulative. And I don't I wouldn't say that this movie is as manipulative as that. You don't have a dog eating a steak before a guy kills himself to so just like elicit all these like feelings. <laughs> but you you do have these like smaller moments that really evoke emotion really well. Like whether it's when Neil is like trying to leave the party, and Jan is like, "Well, I got or the not the party, the funeral." And he's like, "I gotta go." And he just kind of yeah. like leaves. And then, the, you know, uh his friend comes goes to talk to him, and he's like, "You think I, I'd want? You think I'd be sitting in my backyard if I want to talk to somebody right now? Like, <laughs> go away, basically." Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a really well done scene that I'm kind of left just feeling like how heavy Neil is in that moment, um or even when he's on the moon and he like finally pulls out Karen's bracelet and you're just kind of looking at it and you're just like wow like it drives home all these emotional moments in such subtle ways i think it's really really impressive and chazelle is just like a master with not only framing and using the camera but also getting his actors to give these subtle performances but that still evokes such a reaction I'm, it's really impressive however And this is where the however comes in. I think where I was left with this movie was it's a good movie. I'm probably never going to seek out again. And I think that I think my main gripe with it is Neil Armstrong felt like such an inaccessible character in a lot of ways. You know, he's grieving basically Mm -hmm. from like the first third, like the third minute of the movie on, you know, Karen passes away relatively early. And from then on, other than that one moment where him and Jan are dancing in their living room, you don't really see that many fun Intimate moments with them, and it for me that makes it really hard to kind of buy him buy into him as a character because I don't really buy a lot of. I I think it's hard for me to kind of relate to like his emotional state throughout. He's just very sad, very within himself, and that's I think Gosling does that well. It's a, it's a testament to his acting how how well he does do with it, but it just makes it a movie that I don't know if I'd wanna rewatch per se.
1: Yeah, that's that's fair. I think it's not pulpy. You
0: know, again, it's the opposite of that. It's not crowd pleasing
1: like that. You know, it's non traditional. I think, uh, I think that probably contributed to the uh, tepid box office. You know, it's um, because again, reviews are overwhelmingly positive, but even those reviews are saying that it's not. This is not Apollo right. 13. You know, if that's kind of what you're looking for, we're not mm-hmm. gonna get that. And yeah, I think more people. From this point forward, we'll still re-watch Apollo 13 more than we'll watch this. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> the very first scene, he's in that X-15 in, like, the lower atmosphere, right? And it's so claustrophobic Ugh. and so loud yeah. and, and so tense and jittery. And then, like, starts bouncing off the atmosphere. Like, I had no idea that Neil Armstrong almost died, like, three other times before he went <laughs> to the moon. Cause like when he's testing the lunar module thing and he has to pull the chute and like he fucks up his face, like I did not realize there were all these close calls. You know, I wasn't didn't re- do enough reading on the Gemini program <laughs> and stuff, but uh, leading up to Apollo missions. But I think what really blew my mind was this is a story that I know how it ends. It's a nonfiction tale, right? But the movie built up and held tension multiple times so yeah. so well. It's kind like, of like Better Call Saul in that way. Sure. Yeah, and I just again I just found it really impressive, and I mean the cast mentioned Gosling. I think Gosling again it's it's an inaccessible performance. It's tough to relate to because he's you know a man of few words yeah. in the film, and again it's a good performance. I think Claire Foy is almost like the audience avatar as his wife because she's much more emotional and kind of saying the things that you would expect someone to be saying in the way he was acting, right? And I mean, the rest of the cast is stacked. You have so much talent that's barely used, right? I think Jason yep. Clark—he's uh, been on a heater for like two years now. He does has a lot of good work as Ed. Um, Kyle Chandler has some moments. Kieran Hines is there, you know. Um, Corey Stoll, fucking Shea Wiggum is there. Corey Stoll is a fucking douche as Buzz Aldrin. Yeah. Um,
0: Which I mean, Buzz Aldrin, man, like you he, he can't you he can't be watching this movie feeling very good about how he's portrayed.
1: Yeah, it's. Um, I didn't really know much about the temperament of either man going in so that was interesting to hear it's funny because obviously with the the bogus flag controversy that came up before this movie which probably contributed to the box off at least a little bit right Um, such a a ridiculous
0: narrative but go on
1: (laughs) I know but since then you know like Richard Brody at the New Yorker for example like there are people and there's a Daily Beast review too like oh this movie is actually like super like super pro America super like this is a right wingers (laughs) movie and it's like Again, like I don't think the movie's political really oh no. that was clearly not Chazelle's intent. Like he gave his reasoning for not showing the actual planting of the flag. He just shows a shot of the flag already planted, right? right? And again, he w- he was not interested in that. Like they could have he could have told the story playing into the space race more. But this is a movie based off of a biography about Neil. It's a movie about Neil being in Neil's head. Um and like you said, sometimes that isn't very fun. Yeah. You know, once you actually understand what it was like to be Neil Armstrong, I found the the film fucking really effective,
0: and I was a huge fan. So it's
1: uh, I have it in my top t- top five right now.
0: Yeah, I was gonna ask looks- you what what does your top five look like? Because uh, I was wondering if this was gonna be top five, top ten, top fifteen. I knew it was up there. Yeah, I think I have uh
1: First Reform. Sorry to bother you, and then First Man right now. Damn, followed by Black Klansman and. Annihilation, Isle of Dogs. I'm excited because I, I think War. our,
0: our year-end list, as we're inching closer, it's all, I mean it's middle of yeah.
1: October, dude. I've already seen more movies in 2018 than I saw for. Shout out Movie
0: Pass before after. it passed away.
1: A <laughs> list now. Oh, I also I saw um, First Man in IMAX. 2D, uh, thanks to AMC A list, and not not every scene was shot in IMAX, but all the space scenes were in IMAX, and it was great because that's a fucking like three story screen, you know, great sound. So that was that that probably helped my viewing experience. Uh but coo- cool touch about this movie was uh, obviously they didn't go to the moon to film this they were not right? But whenever like the actors would see, they would like, see like you know the earth yeah. the earth it wasn't a green screen they actually had LED yeah. screens of that so there, it was much more immersive for the actors. I think that's a really seemingly simple idea but it probably goes a long way in helping the actors.
0: So uh, that was a cool. Yeah, movie. no, I definitely agree. I mean, Chazelle just at this point, you can, if he's making a movie it, and you care about the art of movie making, I think you have to watch He's uh, The youngest uh, best director winner uh, for La La Land, yeah. and I, you know, in re in thinking about all the movies from the last like five years, Whiplash might be my favorite movie. <laughs> and I'm thinking about it like uh, so many of the scenes in it just like run through my mind when I think about what it means. To, like watch a movie like. It's practicing, putting the quite my tempo. What?
1: I said not <laughs> quite my tempo.
0: Um, but he, I mean, Chazelle is just a, a master class, and even when I think it, the movie isn't necessarily rewatchable, it's still it's still there to appreciate. So I'm interested to see what he, what he does next. I, I saw uh, uh, online um, an interesting throughline through his movie seems to be sacrifice that in order to like really achieve greatness in these things, mm-hmm. you need to sacrifice pretty much everything. Uh, to achieve it Um, so I'm I'm wondering what what the next story will be related to that but uh, yeah First Man I think we we both really liked it you definitely liked it more than me but um, overall I think you have to see it if you care about movies at all yeah again like Tamar at home
1: Damon Giselle is 33 (laughs) years old this
0: is his third
1: uh, major feature film release third Uh, Whiplash oscar nominations la, la land 14 i think first man will get a bunch of technical uh nominations and he'll probably get nominated for director it probably will get best picture then goslinger foy probably but i don't expect it to get any wins because again it, it probably won't just pick up enough yeah. steam you know as we've said with the tepid box office but it, it's going to be deserving of all those nominations regardless um and this is actually the first movie that he didn't write, he just directed. It was written by uh, Josh Singer, mm-hmm. who co-wrote uh, The Post and Spotlight. So if you're going to pass it off to someone, sounds like that's a great guy to pick. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he's, attached it's funny. He's attached to some like, some like TV shows. I think one of them, actually one of the Apple mm-hmm. shows, uh, again, Apple now has a million shows, but the idea of him doing TV right now just seems like so wasteful. You know, it's like, you have him and Chazelle and Ryan Coogler are two great young American
0: filmmakers. Make yeah. films. Please. Well, Coogler just signed up for Black Panther too, which is exciting. I'm glad that. Yeah. Oh, he did. I missed So uh, I'm excited to to see what he'll do with the the second installment of that. You got a big yeah, bag I mean, for I that. Also, uh, I mean, just Chazelle is. I mean, so just like thinking about him as as a yep. director, I feel like he tells stories I would never expect and. You know, we were texting a little bit about how this is his most, um, I don't know, conventional film he's made. But still, right. like, so many scenes are were shot so unconventionally. Like, when he's in the, uh, the was it like the test thing in the beginning? And it's like spinning him around and just like watching Gosling be thrown around in this. Uh, or even when he's. <laughs> on that like landing craft like that uh simulator and he almost crashes like following him and then like being like thrown up quickly and then, like shot back down it's so visceral um yeah he just he does things other directors just can't do so uh or, or don't do it to this point yeah so definitely uh excited to see where he goes and i mean we're gonna be talking about him for the next 50 years <laughs> of our lives probably crazy <laughs> Thirty-three. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we're gonna that's uh, gonna do it for this episode. But what do we got for next week, Dave? Uh,
1: Halloween comes out. I'm not gonna see. I don't like horror movies. I don't know if you're. Are you listening in to in that, that, that podcast from the Ringer? H. Halloween yeah. the Masked. Um, sounds like a cool uh, narrative podcast. Yeah. Are awesome, but I have no interest because I don't like gotcha. horror movies or Halloween. But cool idea, definitely. Um, so that'll be the box office winner, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, be- Beautiful Boy had it was in four theaters last week and that's the Timothy Chalamet, Steve mm-hmm. Carell um, film and that had a really big theater I think like 55,000 per theater so a really strong start for Amazon which is good right. for them. They've had some uh, valleys recently mm-hmm. in, their, in their theatrical releases so that should be out by us. I'm not sure how quick they're going wide with that but if that's here, definitely see that because Chalamet, much like Googler and chazelle are are great directors of the future Ch- chalamet is probably the actor of his generation yeah, him and so hedges are like you, neck you neck. just need to go yeah and yeah oh and hedges boy a race coming soon so yeah. uh his first actual uh lead role funny enough so we have that and then on the music front um nothing like super blockbuster but yachty's releasing another album uh cloud nothing's releasing another album uh moe is releasing an album so we'll see like from that yeah it's funny like Mo, right like major laser features etc no no studio album yet or something and she's like 20 so we'll see how that turns out but um and then television uh next episode of the romanoffs i don't think anything else new is coming uh well daredevil comes out friday
0: oh yeah what do you think about the uh iron fist being canceled
1: yeah, me. I mean, I I haven't watched either season of Iron Fist. I know people like season two more, and apparently there's a cool cliffhanger at the end. But it uh critically was not well received and was probably under watched relative to their other shows. So you know, it's like when when you're when you start out bad and then you get to be less bad, <laughs> they don't necessarily
0: justify continuing. It, yeah. So no, it was just interesting because I think it was the first like one of the Marvel shows Amazon was canceled. So it's something to kind of keep our eye on uh, especially as you know we're talking about all these like fantasy ip properties and I, I know they were trying to build that world with uh what was their like version of the avengers defenders. yeah the defenders so um definitely i think a step back for them but i have no doubt marvel will figure it out so
1: yeah i mean remember they also
0: added the punisher
1: show which was not originally right. part of the plan so there's still plenty of those shows going
0: uh, but if you enjoy the pod, give us a subscribe and uh, YouTube. Go to soundcloud.com/slash nostalgia pod to find any way that you want to listen to the show. Uh, go to iTunes, give us a reading and review, and hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you think of the show at nostalgia pod. Dave's at Martin Swagger. I'm at Shooting World Peace. If you want that uh, Boston Red Sox playoff emotional tweeting content that I've been pumping out recently, and then uh, my, my Celtics start up tomorrow and uh or like tuesday if you're listening to this uh which i'm excited for the worst team in boston right now is uh i guess maybe the patriots (laughs) which is crazy to say a team that came out of the super bowl anyways we love you we'll see you next week peace out